0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna.
1: And me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down and have a casual chat about what's been going on in blockchain. We talk about bloom filters, uh, proof of authority, papers, and a little bit of a twister on the end regarding the ERP proposal. Today, we're back with uh, another episode of uh, this month in blockchain or whatever we wanna call this segment. Uh, we're back with a uh, special guest,
2: Andre, who was on last time. Uh, hi, everyone. Glad to be back. These are the
0: episodes where we get together, usually with a member of the parody team, uh, and we just talk about what's on our mind, what we've been looking at, what we're thinking about, and what's coming up.
1: I have a bunch of things that I want to cover and talk about, but I don't think I'll fit everything into this episode, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to condense things. Uh, but there's been a bunch of like small nuggets of learning and, and cool stuff happening. Uh, I started working a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, days ago, I don't know, a while ago um, on a bug that um, essentially an Ethereum client would not return all logs that you know, was requested of it. And uh, it was a really weird bug because it was happening very sporadically. It was impossible to uh, to reproduce. And just, it's been sitting around for a long time. And the reason I dug into it is I finally got my hands on a node where this bug actually existed. Like I could reproduce the bug and I could run things and I could look at the database and see what it contained. And after like two and a half days or so of digging, I actually found out that uh, it was a bug in how our bloom filters are built. For those that don't know, uh, a bloom filter is, a data structure of sorts that you can put a bunch of things like uh, imagine uh, you have a hash table and you want to query um, you know does this thing exists what's the best way to put this Andre, can you give a good overview of of
2: bloom filters (laughs) that's easy to understand i think you were going in the in the in the correct direction like so basically it allows you to Answer like set membership queries, like does is this key contained in the set, without actually storing the whole um, data set in memory. So it's like uh, it's a probabilistic data structure. So it it doesn't it it has false positives. So you might say like uh, yes this exists and actually it doesn't exist but it's it ends up saving a bunch of memory yeah. and there's um, no
1: false negatives so that's yeah guarantee exactly that you get yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so the way we would use that in a ethereum node is uh, you ask for instance for logs let like show me all the events that have happened for this address and then it, it returns a list of blocks uh, that it may or may not uh, you know, be relevant. Uh, so there might be more blocks that are returned uh, than there actually happened stuff in, but um, you get us much, much smaller subset than looking through the entire chain. So uh, this is like as an absolutely crucial and necessary optimization to do any querying of the blockchain data in that sense. So um, we use it for logs and a bunch of other things. and. Um, there was a bug in how these bloom filters were built. So uh, when there was a chain reorg and there wasn't a database flush in between two (laughs) inserted blocks, it would actually like replace the wrong stuff in this bloom filter resulting in logs going missing. So it was kind of an interesting dig into how an Ethereum node uses bloom filters. And I thought I I learned something from it. So I thought I'd share that with uh, the world as well.
2: Yeah, it's, it was really hard to <laughs>
1: to debug. <the> <laughs> and uh, other than that, I've been doing a bunch of research, reading a bunch of papers, going to this uh, workshop thing next month, but um, uh, reading a bunch. And uh, I read the DFINITY paper, which Anna, you read as well. What do you uh, think of it?
0: Well, um, we actually, I, I, I put together something. This is sort of the first of its kind uh, he, that that I've done which is a white paper round table so this was not just me and frederick who read the Divinity white paper but a bunch of other people and we got together and we actually dug into it and tried to understand it better and find out if we could find any of its quirks or question marks um, i would say that it was a it was a, it was a difficult read it was a, it was a good one i guess it definitely made us think it brought up a lot of conversation. We we had a lot to talk about. I think it was definitely not a, it wasn't a beginner white paper. And there was, I mean, what it showed me was there's still some, some key stuff just about like general consensus algorithms that I still need to fully get a grasp on, but I liked it a lot. I don't know. I thought it was really cool to, to get a chance to sit with other people and go through it. It was a bit like a study group or something like that.
1: I guess the high level take is that the Definity paper proposes a structure for a proof of stake system. And um, the way it does that is uh, by having a source of randomness. So you can pick a random set of uh, validators among a larger set uh, and then do consensus between just uh, sort of that set of people. Uh, And so it's an optimization on, on the whole thing and, uh, aims to be pretty fast and reliable and things like that. Uh, I thought it was cool too, but, um, like you say, it's not really a beginner friendly paper, I'd say. So that's a good question really. Like, how do you make something that, you know, gets to the point and, uh, shows your unique research, like shows what you've been doing versus, having, like, a long preamble of, like, this is all the previous work. Like, in academia, you wouldn't really even be allowed to include, like, previous work stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you're supposed to talk about what you've been doing. And so I think they did a decent job there. I mean, they had some introductory explanation stuff, but it was still, like, this is what we pr- propose, and then, um, you know, assume hmm. a bunch of knowledge in the reader.
0: I actually, I so I thought there were some really novel ideas in here. I thought there was some stuff that... That I, I mean, I hadn't read before, actually even checking with people who had read a lot more papers of this nature, were pretty impressed by as well. Um, what's really cool is we're probably going to get a chance to dig a little deeper into the Definity protocol in an upcoming episode um, with somebody who's working there, and I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm glad that we had a chance to g- kind of dig deep with a big group of people. Also, this group of people had sort of a different, we all had slightly different levels of understanding, different expertise. Um, And so we got a pretty wide-ranging set of questions um, that we can now bring into this upcoming podcast. I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, hopefully that will be
2: useful for for listeners. Yeah, it will be useful for me too, (laughs) I guess.
0: (laughs) In general, actually, this this whole idea of this white paper roundtable, though, that in itself is an experiment. And it's something, the reason I'm mentioning it in the podcast is that we may actually try to find a way to bring that into podcast form eventually. I think we will we w- we'll want to do a couple offline so that we understand if we can create some sort of structure to it. Um, but that is something we're trying to do. And, and I've heard about them. I actually have heard about white paper roundtables from other, from other people and other communities. So if anyone has done that effectively or has some ideas about it, it'd be really cool if you guys get in touch with us. Because I'd be curious to hear to hear how you did it.
1: Speaking of um, POS, uh, Andre, you've been working on some POA stuff. Uh,
2: what have uh, you been up to there? Yeah, I've been uh, <clears throat> actually just finished implementing a feature for our POA engine. So basically our, in parity, we have a proof of authority engine, which we call Aura. Um, and so basically uh, each validator takes rounds uh, proposing blocks. And um, the thing is that the, um, for security uh, reasons, we, um, we are required to create empty blocks um, every uh, step duration. Even if there's no transaction, the authorities still need to create um, an empty block like every two seconds or every four seconds. Um, and so I, I implemented something that uh, instead of them creating um, empty blocks, they instead sem- send, them, send some messages which have some um, signatures and they allow us to um, basically maintain the, the same security guarantees while uh, not basically creating bloat on the blockchain. Um, the reason we need this um, for, for security is that, um, so basically, uh, there's, there's this concept of block finality. Um, so in um, proof of work, um, block finality is basically probabilistic or statistic, statistical. So that's why people say that when you do it uh, like a Bitcoin transaction, you have to wait for six blocks. This basically means that it it, it it would be really, really hard or really, really expensive for someone to revert this transaction, right? Um, but in proof of authority, um, depending on the engines that we have, we might have something like uh, instant finality, which is something that you don't get with a, a proof of work, which means that once a transaction is included in a block, it's basically uh, not possible to go back. Like it doesn't matter. It's it's not like in proof of work that if you get like this insane amount of resources, you can still revert it. Um, in this case, it's not possible. And in our um, in our consensus engine for proof of authority, we basically rely on the signatures that each authority keeps um, creating to basically. Uh, calculate this finality right so essentially yeah
1: when you know authority a produces a block the fina- finality like depends on um authority b signing off on that block later exactly and so if if i understand things correctly um you've gone from instead of like producing a new block every time, uh, you essentially agree on a consensus, like a a step message saying, yes, I I do still support this, even though I'm not creating a block, I still support this previous block.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like to put it, uh, to simplify the idea is that if you don't produce any blocks, it means that the nodes are not communicating, and if they're not communicating, they cannot signal approval for anything, right? Yeah.
1: So they might as well be offline. I mean, exactly. you don't know what is happening. Yeah.
2: So if you have no transactions going on, there's no blocks being created. There's no. There's there's nothing to prove, right? But you also so. Right now, we run with our engine where it actually creates empty blocks. Uh, but we can just switch this uh, these empty blocks for messages. This is just a, like an engineering optimization. Like it doesn't change anything from the protocol point of view, from security point of view. It's just instead of spending 10 bytes to create each block, you spend like some number smaller than that for (laughs) the the messages. Um, And, you know, like you, like this was a a deep dive into all the (laughs) engine stuff in in Parity. Um, Actually, it was like really rewarding to see this stuff work (laughs) when you see like different computers talking to each other. (laughs) It's (laughs) like... (laughs) it's
1: always a satisfying thing to like (laughs) spend a lot of time on something and then
2: finally it works and like
1: oh shit this is really cool yeah
2: exactly (laughs) um yeah so so that was like the major feature that that i was working on and other than that like just general bug fixing and learning about how everything works (laughs) cool
0: yeah over the last few weeks i had a I had a chance to do a workshop um where I for the first time I mean I'd been I was I was aware of what the bridges were and what they did and I thought they were kind of neat but I didn't I don't know they were they were sort of I didn't really understand how you'd apply them to anything and I was in a workshop recently where I actually heard it like, f- how useful this could be to a group for a specific reason and I thought that was really special i i i know that we also have planned an episode where we go deep on just the
1: bridges yeah like can you give a high level overview of what a bridge is like it's not i'm not sure it's a common term or i mean maybe it's a common term in the blockchain space i'm not sure but so
0: i'm i'm going to try to remember exactly how they said this but wasn't it an an atomic
1: swapping
0: swapping so it was this idea that the token could exist in one place or the other, and that would be across different blockchains. Yeah. Um, and so I think the most common example here would be like Coven and Mainnet, or an ERC-20 token in another blockchain or something like this. So you can have uh, a token in one of them and use a bridge to have it exist either in that blockchain or in the other one. And this would be a cool way right. if you're, I don't know. Actually, I don't think I can give that much away about this workshop, but uh, (laughs) there were some really cool applications to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's a bridge between two blockchains. And uh, what, I'm not actually sure, and the bridge we've built, what are the, what's the trust model?
2: Like, who are you trusting in running this bridge? Do you know, Andre? I I think you have to trust the, so for example, if you were running on Coven and Mainnet, if you were bridging those two networks, I think you would have to trust the authorities in um in the Coven network. Um and I think there are also some authorities involved in managing the contract itself. But ideally they would be the same. Yeah. Um but I mean so yeah. so if
1: you trust the running of kovan at all then you will automatically trust the bridge like there's no distinction between the two
2: yeah and i think one of the use cases for this would be so so for example kovan runs our poa engine there that, that i was talking about earlier and block times there are like four seconds so basically any app that as is having scaling issues could try to run it, run it on chain on the coven network, for example, and that would and, uh, like alleviate
1: allow f- interaction from the main net yeah, chain. exactly. Uh, by this bridge,
2: exactly. So, for example, you could buy your Crypto kitty on with like mainnet Ether, but then it actually runs on Kovan network be- for some reason. Uh, yeah. I mean the reason is obvious it's because it's clogging the <laughs> foundation <laughs> <Yeah>. network <laughs> uh, but yeah
0: and the cool thing about that too is like uh that also helps i think that's like one of the main building blocks of polka dot too at least conceptually and so yeah. that was really cool to start to see that like oh wait that already exists and yeah. now we can start to play with that and think of all the implications applications
1: what else has been on your radar
0: so I've definitely been looking out at uh, upcoming events. The blockchain conference space is exploding at the moment. Uh, every week, there's like there's a ton of events all over the world. Um, some really interesting new spots, like Puerto Rico is happening apparently. Um, I think the, the real the most exciting event coming up at least for for our gang would be like ETHCC in Paris which I believe last year it was like EdCon, kind of captured both ECC and EdCon. It was happening at the same time. Now it's split. Um, but there's some really interesting talks happening there. A really good group of people heading over. Um, I also know a lot of projects in the States that are going to be sending some people over there, so that's exciting. Um, I, I There was some conversation uh, in a community group that I'm in, which was about like, our conferences sort of overkill and should we only go to hackathons? And I am of the belief that you should definitely continue to go to some of the conferences, but be discerning. I don't know. There's a ton. And if it has, uh, like, if it has certain things in the the name, I don't know, like, Lambo, (laughs) to the moon, ICO, token, 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 maybe, have to go with that one if you're into tech but um i i do think there's some really cool stuff coming up and i'm excited to see what's what's going to happen i'm also i found it really curious to see how the blockchain event uh space is sort of like dominating and like wiping out other tech conferences
1: yeah (laughs) like across the across the world
0: and i'm like a little concerned about like south by southwest even this year they've gone really blockchain but i have some friends who are worried that like the blockchain conferences are going to take away all the good people. <laughs> so that was funny. Um,
1: I am. Um, I'm actually uh, going to a thing tomorrow. I'm. I'm holding a seminar on blockchain, and it's. It's not. Um, it's not a big deal. Um, but I will. I will probably have like a, a piece on blockchain intro, and and I. I like. I have a really hard time explaining uh, what blockchain is in a sort of uh, intro fashion, because people think of it as cryptocurrency, right? It's tokens, but that's such a small portion of it. And it's not really useful way to think about blockchain as a technology, but it's also not useful. Like I've seen some people try to intro it by like, this is a block, this is what a block contains. And then one block links to another by some consensus algorithm. I mean, it's sure for a developer, you could, you know, from that, then build your own imagination and what you could do with that. But for the, for the layman, it's meaningless. Um, and so the other, like the other extreme is to just make analogies and say, Oh, it's like this thing or like that thing, but like you could say like it's like a database right (laughs) but then why not just use a normal database then like (laughs) why is this database better well then you kind of have to go into the details anyway and just it's it's, i don't know like i don't know how to intro this well
0: we've had we've had this conversation a couple times the entry points could be like it's the new decentralized world. It's a ledger. It's a hash technology, cryptography. Like, blah, blah, blah. and I actually think the way that I've taken it on is to try to, like, I have this this learning group, which is just like a Google Drive folder with a bunch of material in it, and I've shared that with a lot of people in the Berlin community. Um, and in there, I have this sort of foundational section of videos, and it's all of those things. It's like intros in each of those ways because that together sort of paints a picture of what it is. And I think from there, people can take what they want. But uh, I think it's really hard to create something super universal as an introduction. Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. Andra, how did you explain blockchain to your parents?
2: Uh, Actually, this is a really good question because I'm gonna give it, I'm I'm gonna give a talk like exactly the same blockchain intro. So whatever you come up with, <laughs> let me know afterwards. I'll it to you later yeah. yeah,
0: I I did do one this summer, and uh, I don't think I did that good a job. Actually, <laughs> I think I started well, which was like um, you've heard of Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. is not blockchain kind of stuff. Um, I think. I th- I, I, but, I, but where I tried, I tried to go into smart contracts too quick. Bad move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that.
2: <laughs> but I, I think that, like, one of the things is that if you, if you explain it as a, as a database to someone that isn't very tech savvy, like just saying something like, it's a database where you don't have to trust anyone. Doesn't quite register the impact, like yeah. because it's like, well, okay, I, I don't trust Google's databases too. I go there every day, and my mail is still there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, it's really hard to, to explain like how important and how hard the the problem that it's solving is, because it's fundamentally it's like a, a computer science problem. Right? The not trusting anyone. (laughs) Distributed consensus. Yeah, exactly. It's it's
1: been a research topic for many, many years and it's a thing. And, And now trying to explain not only what the solution to this problem is or like there are many solutions to this problem and explaining like the proof of work solution to this problem for instance and then um explaining that is one thing but explaining why that matters is another thing that i i mean it's even harder in some way
0: we actually funny thing about this podcast is we've never done the intro to blockchain podcast
1: (laughs) No, I think uh, we'll do a couple more seminars and uh, test it on other people, and uh, then we can try it here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we did do the proof-of-stake proof-of-work, which was like one of the first things, first research topics that we've done. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that one. I learned a lot from that. It's cool.
1: I have uh, one final thing that I want to um, share, and that's uh, I love sharing business ideas. Like, that's my favorite thing to do because they're so easy to think of. And I, I just love giving ideas to other people. And then, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a fun thing to talk about. And then uh, if they actually execute on it, it, like I get to have what I want without building it myself. <laughs> and I, I came across, so I, I've been doing, uh, talking to users of Parity recently and a big group of users uh, in Parity is exchanges. Uh, Most of them run Parity to handle their on-chain transactions. And uh, the exchanges have a problem right now where most of them are not um, using smart contracts to send or receive ether. So, they basically create an address for every account in their system. And then they send into to and from those addresses, or in some cases like Coinbase, you actually get many addresses. So, um, when we see like there's millions or billions or whatever, the number is now on, uh, of accounts on Ethereum, most of those are actually generated by exchanges. Um, and, uh, they, they can generate many addresses per per person or per account. So, um, this is a super inefficient thing to do, and uh, more so sending out ether. So whenever someone withdraws ether from an exchange, it's sent as one transaction to one account, and it pays 21,000 gas. Um, there's a way to send, like from a smart contract, you can send ether to like 10 accounts at the same time, and you pay much less gas per transaction because of logic. <laughs> and. Um, Uh, the thing is no exchange wants to build this because it's too high risk. They, and it's not even that they don't want to build it. They don't want to use it. None of them want to touch smart contracts because it's just way too dangerous. Um, and so if you actually built, um, this smart contract, got it audited, uh, maybe even like ran a cert, like you could open source that and then run like a service around it. To just make it really easy to interact with, uh, you could like charge ten thousand bucks a month from exchanges for that. You could pick up like all the fees <laughs> that that they're spending all you, you could you could do a thing like that too, where you don't like you, yeah. you charge less than twenty one thousand gas to the exchange, but more.
2: Yeah, like you, exactly. you, you take a difference there. You could do that too, yeah. and you probably need to ensure that that contract (laughs)
0: hey you're kind of almost touching on something political there
2: yeah
1: i mean it a lot of this discussion and a lot of this stuff going on here is obviously um not spawned but related to the controversy that's been going on with the ethereum recovery proposals Uh, so for those not in the know um, there was an EIP, so that's a proposal to the Ethereum improvements proposals that, um, proposed a structure for how to, um, talk about and consider Ethereum recoveries An Ethereum recovery being like someone has lost their funds. So like Parity, where the multi-sig wallets funds are locked somewhere and, uh, Yeah. There's been a lot of backlash to this with, which is super confounding to me for multiple reasons. Um, not least this reason that people don't want to use smart contracts because it's too high risk. And, um, you know, the, the Ethereum recovery proposal that was proposed may not be the perfect solution, but everyone is just blankly shooting it down. This is not something that should ever be discussed. And if you have that standpoint that, you know, if a developer makes a mistake, that developer should be punished. If that's your mentality, you will never build a successful development platform. So clearly we need some solution in this space. Maybe the proposed one wasn't the perfect one, but I think it's really odd that people are just bashing this thing left and right without a lot, like they're not proposing an alternative. I mean, they're acting as if this is not
2: a problem at all. Yeah, um, I mean, I also don't want to go too deep on this, <laughs> but I I agree with you, and like I think that long term this could be like an adoption issue. Like if 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 you if everyone's afraid to use smart contracts because something wrong might happen and a lot of value is lost and there's no no going back, like. There's no amount of formal methods or anything that... I mean, as long as humans are involved, there are going to be errors. <laughs> it's
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it yeah. doesn't
2: matter what tooling you,
1: you employ. If humans are involved, there will sooner or later be mistakes. So like, we either ignore that fact or we deal with it. And if we don't deal with it, then some other blockchain in the future probably will. And I would bet that they get better adoption than the platform yeah. that does not deal with it.
0: So on that <laughs> highly political note, <laughs> yeah. shall we wrap?
1: Yeah, it was awesome talking to you guys as usual. Yeah, Like always. And uh, to the listeners, uh, I wanna actually say, we don't say this very often, but you, you touched on it before Anna, we actually really want feedback. Um, so if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, our Twitter handles are, uh, are both on, uh, zero knowledge.fm, uh, or I think you can email to hello at zero knowledge.fm. I think we set that up. Yeah. So, uh, please reach out, give us feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys if you have questions or anything at all. And, uh, thanks for listening.